0: Okay, good morning everybody, hello, welcome to you all, and at home, if you're watching on Zoom, Um, my name's Nev, one of the pastors here, and continuing our series, as Jem said, in Corinthians, Um, just to add myself, yes, but I've been so encouraged by this past week of prayer together. it's just so encouraging to see and hear people's prayers and see how God has answered prayers and spoken to us and encouraged us in different ways. And um, isn't it amazing how God speaks to us? Um, I was sharing in one of the prayer meetings, I, I was praying for someone who's in Holland, and uh, I, I felt to encourage them from something I'd been reading in a Word. Um, and then he texted me back and said, wow, that's amazing, because my wife, has just been reading from exactly the same place that you just encouraged me from and had all these notes. So I was like, wow, you know, things like that. And you're like, wow, God, you, you, are, you are speaking to us in these wonderful ways. So let's expect God to speak to us now uh, as we hear from the word. Let's be open and receptive to him speaking to us. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter seven. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn there. are going to be mostly using the NIV. Um, So 1 Corinthians 7, but let me pray before we uh, get into that. So Father God, I thank you for your presence with us now. Thank you that we've been able to just celebrate you this morning. What a joy it is to remind ourselves of who you are and who we are in light of what you have done for us, Lord God. We ask, Lord, that you would, um, yeah, keep our hearts prepared This morning, ready to receive your word. And I pray that um, we will be encouraged, strengthened, appropriately challenged through your word this morning. Amen. So continuing uh, chapter 7, we looked at the first part of it last week. So we're reading from 1 Corinthians 7 from verse 25 through to the end of the chapter. And it says this, Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He said, now, about the virgins, or you could say a young women who are not yet married, um, I have no command from the Lord, but I give judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. So what Paul is saying there is that, um, you know, though Christ had not delivered any kind of universal law about what he's about to speak about, he is um, giving direction as an inspired apostle who God is using. Um, and he continues, verse 26. Because of this present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged, wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So there is quite a lot Paul is saying there in what I've just read. Um, But essentially... It could be summarised as this: Are you married? Don't seek to end it. You're unmarried? Don't seek a spouse. But those who are unmarried, because those who are unmarried, can be devoted to God. And those who are married will have divided interests: how to please God and their spouse. But getting married is not sinful, uh, although they must be a believer. Uh, and those who will marry will have worldly troubles, and that. Comes from within their marriage, is referring to there. So it's important to remember that this world will pass away and our time in it is short. So let's ensure that our main aim and primary focus in life is to be devoted to the Lord. So that's a kind of simple summary of all that he just said there. And what we're going to do is get into this text in a bit more detail. Um, But as I was meditating on this passage for a few weeks and just thinking about what it was saying as a whole, I felt God um, speak to me through a picture and it was a picture of a a mountain, a huge mountain uh, and with people journeying up the mountain on a path toward a goal at the top. And the goal was a bit like, if you've ever read or heard the story of the Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, uh, there's this end goal where the, the Christian, the main character is traveling toward the celestial city. And that's the goal, and it's a bit like that. So there's all these people in this picture traveling up a mountain towards a goal. Some of the people on this path were traveling alone. Some were traveling with others. And uh, there were some that were going up this path, and they were going really purposefully, and there were others who were kind of slowly wandering up the path. And then there were others who actually kind of stopped, and they were to the side of the path, just not actually moving. And then further down this mountain, oh, actually, to to either side of this mountain, so there's a path. With all these travellers going up, and then either side of the path, there were just crowds of people going down the opposite way, just streaming down the mountain. And the further down the mountain, I thought the picture got bigger. There was a glimpse of a dark cloud that was slowly working its way up this mountain, and. Um, I want to use this picture as we explore this text now, because I think it can help us. Um, but first, let me draw your attention in the text to verses 29 to 31. So whilst the main content of this section of Paul's letter today is about being married or unmarried, verses 29 to 31, it feels like Paul is he's stepping back For a moment and he's asking some bigger questions he says what i mean brothers and sisters is that the time is short you say that the time is short the time is short from now on those who have wives should live as if they do not those who mourn as if they did not those who are happy as if they were not those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep those who use the things this world as if not engrossed in them for the world this world in its present form Is passing away. So what Paul is saying is, as we just said together, is that the time is short. Or in the New American Standard Bible, they put it: the time has been shortened. I wonder if you can remember. Cast your mind back. Some of you longer than others too. When you were at school um, and uh, taking an exam, you remember taking exams. Uh, Maybe that was a long time or more recently. But I remember being in exams, and there were some I was in that were quite long, like two to three hours, like the history exams or whatever. And you'd get in there, you'd sit down with your paper, right, go, and you'd open up. And um, I think I was more the kind that would just tend to like look and go, okay, I've got time. Let's just take my time, not read, I'm trying to understand what's going on. Um, I think I also had the tendency to like wonder a bit and just look around the room. What's everyone else doing? Are they are they working? Or are they, are they writing? Oh, they're writing, they're not and oh, no, i get back to it, you know, or looking at the clock. And um, you sit there, and you're going for this exam, and then you look at the clock, and you realize the time is getting shortened. It's, it's gradually disappearing till the end is going to come, and you're going to have to stop. And as it gets nearer, the sense of urgency increases, like, oh, I should start writing now, I should start <laughs> putting something to paper, um, because this exam time is going to finish. And, um, Paul is speaking to this church in a time where Jesus has just recently come to the earth. The Son of God has come. He has died. He has risen again. And after years of God's people looking ahead to this day, the day of the Messiah coming, it has now come and it has passed. Jesus has been. He's died. He's risen again. And the final days are drawing ever nearer. The time has been shortened, you could say. And Paul wants the church here in this moment to be really aware of this and not forget. And it's like this cloud in the picture I just shared. The mountain in this picture, I believe, is a representation of the world we are in now. It's very real, it's very present, but it's not permanent We're reminded that the time in it is shortened as we see this cloud slowly rising up, working its way up the mountain. And at some point, this entire mountain is going to be gone. It's going to cease to exist. It's not eternal. Just like our existence or the existence of this earth, this world we're in now, is not eternal. One day, it will end, and there will be a new heaven's and a new earth, as it says, we read in Isaiah 65, Revelation 21. And in 2 Peter verse, chapter 3, verse 10 to 13, says this, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Take that in for a moment. Since, since everything will end in this way, what kind of people ought you to be now? And then he goes on to say, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, and we are the righteous if we're in Christ, and that's where we will dwell. So with this in mind, let's just turn back to those verses in 29 to 31, and try and make sense of what Paul is saying here, because if you look at them, um, and if Paul were here today, you might want to ask him some questions, because it can seem a bit strange what he's saying. You might want to say, wait a minute, Paul, are you saying, if I'm married, I should pretend I'm not, and uh, ignore my spouse, or should I pretend I'm okay and not upset about, be upset about difficulties in my life? Or am I not allowed to be happy? Or should I not own anything? And so on. But it seems as though what Paul is doing here in these verses, is making a point about priorities and where the primary devotion and focus of the Corinthians should be placed. So just quickly with some helpful points i with help, actually, from Matthew Henry's Bible commentary, which is one I like to dip into now and then. can be helpful at times. Um, we see here in verse 29, he says, those who have wives should live as if they do not. So what he's saying is that they should, essentially what he's saying is they should not set their hearts too much on the comforts or discomforts of the relationship with their spouse. So if you're married here today, Are you seeking more comfort or fulfillment in life from your marriage than you are from your heavenly Father? And then he also says in verse 30, those who mourn should live as if they did not. And so that's to say that we mustn't be too dejected with any of our afflictions or indulge ourselves in the sorrow of this world, but keep up a holy joy in God in the midst of all our troubles so that even sorrow in the heart may be joyful and the, in the end of our grief may be gladness. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. And in Matthew Henry's commentary, he, puts, he says this, if we can but get to heaven at last, all tears should be wiped from our eyes and the prospect of it now should make us moderate our sorrows and refrain our tears. So I guess the question for us, for you, are you allowing your worldly sorrows, whatever they may be for you right now or have been, are you allowing those to keep you in an unhealthy place of prolonged mourning, which allows no room for the comfort and the joy of the Lord? So That's not saying that we shouldn't mourn. Of course we should. But are we, are we staying in that place without seeking comfort in the Lord? more of a trivial example here, but I remember a time when I uh, went to a theme park with my family on holiday, and um, it was down in Cornwall, it was one of these ones that had all sorts of things in it, and it had go-karts, and I was so excited, petrol go-karts, really fast, driving around this track, and I really wanted to go on them, and to my disappointment, I, I didn't hit that height barrier. I was very, I mean, I'm not particularly tall now, but I was very short as a kid, and it took me a long time to grow. And I, I always had that disappointment. And what made it worse is my two older brothers were tall enough. So off they went to enjoy these go karts. And there I was left in my sadness and my sorrow. Just <laughs> thinking, why me? Why can't I go and enjoy this? And it was sad, but eventually I was able to get some perspective, when my parents said, look, we will come back here on holiday, and you will be tall enough, and so I was able to cling on to that hope, that future hope, that one day I would be tall enough, and I would be able to ride those go-karts, and the good news is, I was, we did go back, I did have a go, so it all ended well, (laughs) hey, but this is, this is an example of, of us, you know, we can be, we have these sorrows, but we also have, as Christians, this wonderful, glorious, future hope but then paul says here in verse 30 he says those who are happy should live as if they were not But he's not saying don't be happy he's saying we should not derive our ultimate comfort from our experiences um, in this world be it hobbies holidays time with friends and so on so these are all good things we can enjoy them but our primary place of rest and joy and strength and happiness is not to be in, primarily in these worldly things, but our hearts should be not set above them, uh, above our aim of being finding our rest in God. And then just at the end of this bit, he says, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. We must keep the world and the things of it from taking root in our hearts, that we might not abuse them when we have them in our hands, be that possessions, property, careers, relationships. The point here is that none of these things are wrong until they take priority over the place of God in our hearts. I ask you the question, is God taking priority in your heart over these different areas of life? I'm sure that uh, most of us here would say, yes, of course, I want God to take priority over all things in my life. I'm sure we would all agree that, but helpful to periodically step back, as Paul is doing here, step back and just go, okay, let me just reassess my life for a moment, Am I still putting God first? Is he still the priority over all these things? Is he still captain in my life? All right, now seeing as the main content of this today is about the marital status of those in the Corinthian church, let's just think about that for a moment as also turn our minds back to this picture I shared earlier of this mountain. So in this picture, I shared with you about how there were people traveling up the path toward the mountain peak. Some of these people were traveling alone, some were in pairs, and some were in smaller groups. And these people that are going up this path represent Christians, so most of us here today. And uh, those who, you know, who have put their faith in Christ and saved, who have been redeemed by Jesus, who have been called to live a life, walking in his ways, walking towards a time when they will one day see Jesus face to face for all eternity. And in the picture, some are walking, as I said, with great purpose. Some are walking slower, and there were some who had stopped and were just off to one side. Now, in verses 32 to 45 of our text, Paul talks about how an unmarried man or an married woman has more freedom to be undivided in their devotion to God. They don't need to be concerned about the affairs of this world, namely, he's referring to how they might please their spouse. So there, those people like that person on that, in that picture who can move up that mountain with purpose and they're free to move at their own pace that they feel that God wants them to move at. And they have the freedom to catch up with someone in front of them or to even go back for a moment to other travelers and walk beside them for a time to encourage them, to help them move along. And that's something we can do. We can be those that are encouraging to others in their faith. This is the gift of singleness that Paul refers to earlier in chapter 7. So if you're a single here today, you currently have that gift. Matt touched on that a bit last week. And whether you may or you may not think of it as a gift, but if you are single, God has assigned that to you, and that is what he has given you. And yes, at some point that might change. You might receive the gift of marriage, but whilst you are single... Be encouraged to walk in it with purpose and joy and thankfulness to God. Meanwhile, in the picture there, those that are traveling in pairs or in groups, those are representing the people who are bound to travel together uh, through marriage. And uh, they have a different journey to go on. Of course, it's encouraging and it's a gift to be bound together with someone and to travel this journey with them through marriage. But, as Paul says in verse 28, it comes with its own troubles, its own issues. See, one person always has to be mindful of the other. And perhaps they cannot always move at the pace that they feel they're able to or they would like to. Their devotion to this journey they are on is, is divided, unlike the single traveler. But, that's not to say that it's not... A good thing, and they're still able to move and progress forward as they commit to doing this journey together. And then in the picture, as I said, there were some that were stopped just off to one side of this path. And I believe this represented people uh, who are either either married or unmarried. But what's happened to these people? They've become distracted from their devotion to the journey. The worries and or the passions of life have distracted them and got them caught up so completely that they've immersed them or overwhelmed them. It's a bit like the picture Jesus shares of the the crops growing amongst the thorns. We get concerned with the things of this life, and it can cause us to slow down or even stop and forget the journey that God has called us to be on. So I think as a whole, this, this picture I'm sharing is something just to help us to see the reality of what, We are in, uh, and what is before us. In the middle of the teaching and helping the Christian church about different aspects of life, we've been going through this now for a number of weeks, this letter, and we hear um, Paul, he's referring to lots of different aspects of life in quite some detail. So it's not to say that these things aren't important, because if they weren't important, Paul wouldn't be teaching into them so much. But he's reminding them at the same time of the bigger picture of eternity. He's saying, let's take a step back for a moment here. Don't allow the things of life to consume you, to overwhelm you, to point of being slowed down or completely distracted from the life God has called you to lead. A life of devotion to him. When you were saved, you were given, each of you here, a new identity as a child of God. Your identity, my identity, is not I'm single, I'm married, I'm this, I'm that. My identity is I am God's son or you might be God's daughter. That is who you are. You've got a wonderful, eternal inheritance ahead of you. The time is short, as Paul says here. This earth is temporary. Are you stuck? Are you stuck in a state of sorrow or mourning? I believe God wants to say to you this morning lift up your head again and keep walking. Keep walking. God says, don't forget those who are also on this journey who need encouragement. Perhaps you're caught up in something and you're thinking, ah, it's just too much, I'm I'm so focused on this area of my life. You forget there's a brother or sister next to you who might also be struggling. Why not turn away from that for a moment and say, come on, let me help you. Let's together look to where God is calling us to. God says as well, don't forget to proclaim. Proclaim to those either side that mountain path in that picture, who are just streaming down the mountain, going the wrong direction. Hundreds, thousands of people just going in completely wrong direction. We need to wake up. We need to remind ourselves again to renew our, our vision. Fix our eyes on eternity. How often do you think about eternity is something that is I mean we're, we're living eternal lives but we can get so caught up in the here and now in this world that we're in but it's such a short time we've got this eternal hope ahead of us are we living in the light of that Are you doing everything to the glory of God? One of my favorite verses in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you're doing, whether you're in a marriage, whether you're single, whether you're working, whether you're not working, whether you're a parent, whether you're not, whatever, are you doing it all for the glory of God? This past week, As we've been talking about already today, we've had a week of prayer and encountering God, and it's been wonderful, but I believe we're only just really scratching the surface of what it looks like for us as a church to live as fully devoted followers of Christ. I mean, the prospect of the journey ahead of us is really an exciting one, and um, I love the fact that um, what Matt was sharing earlier about that we're going to... Over, this month, over the month of March, we're going to come together every Tuesday and seek God together. And I want to, um, yeah, I want to encourage you. Are you on board with that? I think we need to, I think it's so important we need to regather, regroup and say, come on, let's stir one another again in, in this journey of faith that we're on. If you're able to, I say resolve to make sure you're there every Tuesday. If you're married and you've got kids and you can't both come, then make sure you decide each week, right, this week you're going, this week you're going. But one of us is definitely going to be there every week. Don't miss it. Don't just go, oh, that's a week off, that's a month off. This is so important for us as a church. I believe God's going to speak to us. this time I really believe he's going to speak to individuals he's going to put new uh, passions in your hearts for the things that God wants you to do for him I believe if you if you decide you're not going to come you will miss out on some great things for you personally as well as for us as a church so come along be prayed for be expectant that God's going to speak to you and he's going to give you fresh and renewed vision for your life and for this church Let's maintain a perspective. I love these words of Charles Spurgeon, who once said this Christian, meditate much on heaven. It will help you to press on and to forget the difficulty of the journey. The veil of tears is but the pathway to the better country. This world of woe is but the stepping stone to a world of bliss. You love that. So I want us to, um, we're going to worship together now, and they're going to lead us. We're going to sing. We're going to, as we sing, we're going to say, yes, God, I'm going to build my life upon you. I'm going to remind myself that I'm living for you. When we stand, I'd love to pray for us all. let me just want to take a moment to close your eyes if you feel comfortable and you want to you might want to open your hands to God that's just a sign a physical way of us saying God I'm open to you being at work in my life right now again why don't you just in your heart invite God God's spoken to you this morning which I believe he has to many Why don't you just, in your own mind, say what you want to say to him? Maybe say, God, I'm sorry, I have been distracted. Help me to fix my eyes on you. Father God. Lord, I'm so thankful that we can come before you now. Lord, we as your people, as your sons and your daughters, as your church, your bride, we stand here this morning. We stand with our arms lifted to you. We stand in awe of who you are, Lord Jesus, of what you have done for us. We lift our heads again. We lift our heads and our hearts to you. We set our sights once again on that joy of eternity You have saved us. You have redeemed us. We have such an amazing eternal future ahead of us. We have such a great hope. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you. And I say, Lord God, we say thank you for all the things you've given to us. Thank you for all you've blessed us with. Thank you for the current situation we are in, Lord God. And we say, Lord God, we're sorry if we've become so indulged in our own problems. We've forgotten you. Lord, may we walk again with fresh faith and trust in you. May we trust in your providence. May we trust in your sovereignty over our lives. When we don't understand why things have happened in our lives, may we say, God, you do. And Lord God, we trust you in it all. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I'm lifting my eyes to you again. I'm lifting my life again to you. I'm saying, Lord, have your way. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Again, come and stir our hearts. Come and give us renewed passion for you, for your ways. Lord God, give us fresh zeal for your name, Lord God, to see your name proclaimed through our lives in everything that we do, in every attitude that we have. Oh God, may we walk out from here today and into this week, Lord God, with renewed purpose, Lord God, that people might see you through us. Oh, God, humble us, Lord God. Remind us of our weakness and our frailty and our hopelessness without you. Lord, we lift all those people. Lord, we lift all those people who are going the wrong way down that mountain. God, we lift them to you. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy on this world. Have mercy on Putney. On Roehampton, on our friends and families who don't know you. Lord, help us to help them. Oh, Lord. Lord God. Lord, we can't do any of this without you, but we thank you that in you all things are possible you are able. You are able, Lord, to save and redeem the lost. You are able to lift the hurting and those who are mourning out of their sorrows and into a joy, Lord God, into your ways, Lord, into an eternal hope and future, Lord, as your sons and daughters. So, Lord God, have your way, Lord. We love you. And Lord God, speak to us now, refresh us. And Lord, Encourage us as we now lift our voices to you in worship, Lord. We declare once again that you are God, you are faithful, you are sovereign, and we lift our lives again to you. In Jesus' name, amen.